Well, it is uh, Anzac Day on Monday, and uh, we had the Anzac Day service down here in the main street at Jamboree uh, today. It was a great blessing to be part of the the community as we we stopped to reflect about the extraordinary thing it is for a person to offer up their life as a sacrifice. And I thought tonight we might just do something a little bit different and we're going to have a look at Psalm 46, which I've entitled The End of War. Let me pray. Our loving Father, we pray now that as we come to the scriptures, you might have us understand your mind and that we might know you better and, and see how you see the world and how you see us so that we might deepen our trust in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the First World War was said to be the war to end wars. But no sooner had it ended that the seed was sown for the Second World War. And as that world war ended, the nuclear age dawned with the threat of mutual assured destruction, or MAD, MAD, for that indeed it was. When I visited uh, the USA a number of years ago, uh, I went with my family to a non-operational nuclear missile silo in Arizona. Kind of a, a fun-filled family event, really. But it was an extraordinary thing to go there and tour the old control centre. And, and as we did, we, we were shown by the guide how it is that you would ignite a nuclear missile, how you would launch it. And it needed two different people to turn a key at exactly the same time, but it was about three metres away from the other key. So you had to be with another person who both said, let's do this. And hopefully it would mean that somebody who was rogue wouldn't be able to go and do something crazy because the moment that that missile was launched, it would have been heading directly towards the former Soviet Union. And before it even landed, you can be assured that they would have then engaged their missiles and sent them showering into the United States of America and other strategic sites. And then, well, there would have been no more wars because there would have been no more humans. Such was that extraordinary time. But as the Soviet Union ended, nuclear disarmament began and the world seemed a safer place. Well maybe a little bit safer, but certainly the age of the world war was behind us. Until, of course, Putin went into Ukraine. And for the first time in decades, people are starting to talk about a third world war. And how that makes you feel. A little bit scary, really. Imagine what it would be like if we could stop wars completely. That they could be completely ceased. Can you imagine the end of war? Well, in Psalm 46, we see a pathway to peace. We see a dramatic victory by God for his people. In this psalm, it declares that God is the refuge and the strength of his people, that he removes fear, that he protects his people. And to be perfectly honest, that's what we dream about, isn't it? 
But how can the words of this ancient song have any relevance to us today, especially as our world seems to teeter on the edge of global war? Well, let me read it to you. 11 verses, Psalm 46. It'll be familiar to you, I'm sure. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Interlude. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Interlude. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honoured by every nation. I will be honoured throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Interlude. It's a beautiful picture of, of safety. It's a beautiful picture of peace. But how should Christians understand it today, nearly, nearly 3,000 years after it was written? And as we live at a time of war, not peace. Well, when we read the Psalms, we need to look back, look back, and then look forward. We need to look back to the time that the Psalm was first written. We need to look back to the time of the first Easter, and then we need to look forward to the return of Jesus. And when we see these three dimensions, I think we'll understand just what it means for us today. And it starts like this. God is our refuge and strength. The writer of this song says that God's a place of safety, a place of refuge. You go to a refuge when you're in danger and you need protection. Like when you're escaping a war-torn country and you need somewhere safe to stay. It's what refugees look for, a place of refuge. That's how the writer of this song speaks about God. He offers protection. He offers safety. He offers a place to stay when your home has been destroyed. God offers protection. It's a beautiful picture of how God cares for his people. See, for people who are under attack by their enemies, God is the one who offers protection and comfort. And he can do that because he is our strength. He's got the ability. He's got the resources. He's got what is needed to provide that refuge to us. He's strong. He's mighty. He's powerful. And that means it is wise for us to depend on him. He's not just well-meaning, like, hope that goes okay for you. God delivers the goods. He offers refuge 
and he provides it in his strength. And because he offers us protection, and because he's the source of our strength, it says, 1B, that God is always ready to help in times of trouble. He's always there. He's always ready. He's always on standby. And it's especially true when we need him most, when we're in times of trouble. When, when things are going really badly, he's online. He's on call. He's on alert. When we call God's triple zero, he answers on the first ring and, and he helps us straight away. Such a relief, isn't it? You know, it's no use having emergency services that are only useful when there's no emergency. But God's not like that. He is ready in time of emergency. He is always there, always ready to help us in times of trouble. And with that fact, what does that mean for us? How should that make us feel? What emotions should that drive as we understand that God is our strength and our refuge, always ready to help us in times of trouble? Well, verse 2, it says, So we will not fear. We will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea, verse 2. Because of God, who, who God is, we will not fear. We will not have anxiety. We will not be scared. When we know the character of God, we can find confidence in our fears. When we know what he's done, we can know what he will do. As we look to the past, we will have a vision for the future. Because as we see God's goodness and his greatness, we find confidence in our fears. And the fears that are mentioned in this psalm are not small fears. It talks about earthquakes and mountains crumbling into the sea. That's pretty scary stuff, I've got to say. If you've ever, ever been in an earthquake before, you'll know just how scary it can really be. We are used to being able to stand on solid ground that, that doesn't move. But when it does move around, it undermines our very sense of stability. When I was 18 years old, I was having a power nap in a tent on a camp stretcher when I was rudely woken by someone shaking my bed. But when I sat up, the tent was empty. I thought, ooh, is a ghost come and shaking my bed? What, what exactly has happened here? It wasn't a ghost. It was an earthquake. It was the 28th of December, 1989, and I was about a half an hour's drive south of Newcastle. It was very unsettling to have the ground shake. And the natural reaction is fear. Fear when what we see as normally stable has now become unstable. But the writer of this psalm says that he doesn't fear when earthquakes hit. He doesn't fear when other massive natural disasters occur, like this one in verse 3. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Giant waves like, like tsunamis. They can hit and the, the writer of the psalm doesn't care. He says, we will not fear. But why? Why won't he fear? It's because of the character of God. God who is our strength and our refuge. Because if you know that God is truly powerful, 
and that he truly offers protection, then that will help your fear. It will help your anxiety. Because God truly offers protection. Anxiety is a big problem facing our community. It seems that people are now more anxious than ever before. Is it social media? Some people think so. We spend so much time seeing photoshopped lives that, that we feel inadequate and therefore insecure. That brings anxiety on. And our access to almost unlimited information on the internet means we are aware of so many more risks and hazards than before. There are so many more things that we know that can kill us. And so there's a whole lot more that we can be anxious about. And we can immediately access global news that is immediately access stuff happening on the ground as we see it. These threats, these dangers, and they can easily breed fears and anxieties. And all from people who are experiencing things on the other side of the globe that, that 50 years ago we wouldn't have known about until a boat had turned up and, and brought a document writing down exactly what had happened weeks later. But for whatever reason it is that we're more anxious, this psalm offers us an important message. And that is, when we're anxious, remember God is strong. When we feel like drawing down on our own strength, instead we need to rely on the strength of God. And that is why it's so good to read the Bible regularly. And it's so good to have some verses memorised for when we're feeling anxious. If you're looking for a good place to start, ah, Psalm 46, right here. Well, after verse 3, it says, Interlude. And so we move to the second section of the three, which now speaks about God's special city. Verse 4. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. What's the city of our God? It's referring to Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. It's, it's here described as the sacred home of the Most High. Now, when this was written hundreds of years before Jesus walked on earth, the city of Jerusalem was the place where God symbolically lived. Now, obviously, God's everywhere in the universe, but he chose to symbolically live in a building called the temple in this city called Jerusalem, or, or Zion, as it's sometimes known. And the psalm speaks of a river that brings joy to that city. It's the river of life, the river that sustains the city and its inhabitants throughout drought and war. God sustains this city with his flowing river. And as he made his home in that place, we read verse 5, that God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. God's city cannot be destroyed. God will protect it from sunrise to sunset and then again to sunrise. And that's why they sing that they don't fear. Because God's with them. He's strong. And so is his city. But compare this city to the rest of the world, to the nations beyond. Verse 6. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. 
Such a stark contrast. Can you see that? God rules and protects his people with blessing and strength. And the rest of the world is in chaos. Jerusalem is strong, but the other kingdoms crumble. And it is the voice of God that brings that destruction. Verse 6b, God's voice thunders and the earth melts. Interesting, isn't it? The same voice that created the universe is the same voice that brings destruction to God's enemies. That's the power of our God. That's the power of God's voice. Uh, we, make, we must make sure we don't doubt the power of the word of God. We can easily think that God's word is weak when we compare it to the trials and the tribulations we face. But God created the universe with a word, just by speaking. And he rules that universe with that word. And the second stanza finishes with this word of comfort. Verse 7. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Interlude. We see here that the, the writer of this psalm talks about armies. And he talks about a fortress. The Lord is fighting. He's fighting for his people. And the Lord's defending his people as a fortress protects his city. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? A picture of, of confidence of faith, of hope, a word that is boldly proclaimed by God's people. But I don't know how you feel as you hear this psalm read about Jerusalem never being smashed up and God always winning over the enemies all the time. Because as we read this, we can't avoid a painful truth. And that is that the Jerusalem that the psalmist wrote about almost 3,000 years ago is no longer as he describes it. Just this week, Muslims and Jews attacked each other at the very place where the temple once stood. And within years of writing this psalm, Jerusalem was brutally attacked and the people of God were taken captive by enemies. Which means that if you, if you didn't know better... As you read this psalm, it would at very best be ironic and at very worst it would be, well, embarrassing, wouldn't you say? And that's why we need to look back and then look back and then look forward. Because as we look back, we will see that Jerusalem offered a glimpse of what was to come. It was in a sense a blueprint for heaven. Jerusalem was a blueprint for heaven and a symbol of the very presence of God amongst his people. But because of their sin, God's people were punished by God himself. They rejected his loving rule. They ignored his word. And so the nations brought God's punishment to his own people. And if God's people thought that the literal hundred hectares of Jerusalem was all that mattered to God, then you can see why they were shocked when Jesus said that he destroyed the temple and raised it up in three days. 
Because Jesus was, of course, talking about himself. He was the presence of God amongst his people. And that's why the temple curtain was ripped in judgment when Jesus died. For all that is described here about God's city is now fulfilled in Jesus himself. Can you see that? And so all that we sing about in Psalm 46 is now true of the body of Jesus. That's the second look back, which then leads to the look forward. Because now that Jesus rules from heaven, we look forward to the time of the new Jerusalem where God will dwell with his people. We look forward to the new Jerusalem. And you want to see a picture of that? A picture of that in its beauty and its glory? We look to the second last chapter of the Bible. And I'm going to read seven verses because I want you to experience what this new Jerusalem is like that we are looking forward to. Have a listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. See, we look back to the time of the writing of the Psalms. And when we do that, we look back to the time of the writing and then we look back to the time of Easter, the first Easter. And then we look forward. We look forward to the return of Jesus. We look forward to the time when he will come to judge the living and the dead and when he will take his precious people to be with him. Psalm 46 can only make sense when we see it as a blueprint for the presence of God. And this blueprint was realised in Christ Jesus and is anticipated as we await his return. And the reason I stop to mention all of that is because if you don't get all of that, I don't think the last stanza of this psalm really makes any sense. But when you realise you've got to look back and then back and then forward... I think it makes sense. Because this third and final stanza begins with this verse 8. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. It talks about God's destruction on the world. It's global, but it's also glorious. Do you see that? The destruction that comes from God 
is glorious. His judgment is glorious. And that is because with his final judgment comes the destruction of evil. And this is what comes with that destruction upon the world. Have a listen to this, verse 9. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow. He snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. The destruction upon the earth brings the end of wars. It brings with it the destruction of weapons. It brings with it the, the destruction of defense, the shields as well. This is how the Lord causes wars to end throughout the earth. It's his final judgment and destruction upon the world. Which brings us to a change in this psalm as the Lord God himself speaks. He makes a statement, verse 10a, very famously he says, Be still and know that I am God. It's a famous line, isn't it? It's a line that in, in many ways is really near and dear to so many people. Be still and know that I am God. But I wonder if these words in their context are actually addressed to the people of the world, not specifically to the people of God. That's the conclusion that John Calvin came to in his commentary on this verse. And I think he might be right. And if that's the case, this is a word to the world. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Stop. Stop what you're doing and recognise your creator. Stop what you're doing and submit to the loving rule of the Lord God. Stop what you're doing or you'll experience God's destruction. Be still, freeze, stop and acknowledge the true and living God before it's too late because the time is coming, verse 10b, where he says, I will be honoured by every nation. I will be honoured throughout the world. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every nation will honour God when he returns as judge. Whether it's Putin, Zelensky, Biden, Johnson, Yinping or Morrison, everyone will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now for those of us who personally know Jesus, those of us who have come to him before that day to follow him, it'll be a day of joy of happiness. But for the many people who have lived their lives in rebellion against their creator, they will honour the Lord through clenched teeth as slaves awaiting judgment. We want wars to cease, don't we? We wish we didn't need to celebrate Anzac Day, right? 
We wish there were no names on these honour boards here and especially no crosses next to those who from our own village and valley gave their lives in those wars. The time is coming when wars will cease but it will come with the final return and judgment of Jesus. A time when we will say as this psalm closes, verse 11, the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Interlude. And so as we close, I want to ask you this question. What will judgment day be like for you? What will it be like for you on that final day when the Lord returns to judge the world? If you've trusted in Jesus and received the forgiveness of sins, then you will experience his refuge and his strength. But if you've rejected Jesus and you remain unforgiven, then you will experience God's anger. And by the time Jesus returns, it will be too late for you to change your option. And so if that is you and you have not yet trusted in Jesus, I urge you today, I urge you now to say sorry to Jesus and ask him to be your loving ruler before it's too late. Because if you do, Maybe when you do, you will be able to say this. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear. Amen.